Today I welcome Helen Jays, headmistress of Manchester High School for Girls in the UK. In this episode, I discuss the importance of self-esteem, the positive impact of social media, the role the head has in marketing schools, plus Aristotle and education reform. You, you talk about this Aristotelian kind of philosophy that sits heart, uh, in the heart of your educational um, model. Can you just explain a bit about that? And why, why is that important? Yeah, I mean, I mean, very crudely, Aristotle taught about eudaimonia um, and a very, very basic translation of that is happiness. But what Aristotle taught was about the need for everybody to achieve their potential. And if you achieve your potential as a human being, then you can reach a state of happiness or contentment or eudaimonia. Um, and Aristotle talked about uh, the building of character, the importance of values, the importance of intellectual contemplation. So with those kinds of ideas in mind, for me, that really relates strongly to what I'm passionate about in terms of education. Now, I want all of my students to achieve their personal potential academically, but also it's about building character. It's celebrating everybody's interests in an extracurricular context, because for me, you know, education is about having fun and being happy too. It's about well-being. It's about building character. It's about academic success. And I think that potential um, is a huge concept because it involves building character and moral perceptiveness as well as academic success. So for me, um, my philosophy about education is fundamentally linked to some Aristotelian philosophy. And that's why I'm so passionate about well-being character education, as well as academic success. Because, you know, I want, I want the girls to leave here with self-esteem and self-confidence, with the understanding of balance, as well as the ability to do whatever they want to academically. It is very much about a holistic approach. And that's what I'm so passionate about. Yeah, and, and, that, and, and that's really important. And, and that, not just for girls, but for boys' education exactly. too. Um, you know, you, you mentioned esteem. Uh, and, it, and you know, esteem sits, sits, sits at the heart of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, you can't get to self-actualization without getting the basic building blocks in place, which is kind of your physiological needs, your safety, your, your sense of belonging. Yeah, so I mean, what are your thoughts around, around the future of the professions? You, you mentioned law as something you may have got into if you hadn't become a head. Um, obviously, the need for, for certain types of lawyers is, is going to get smaller and smaller with the advent of technology. You know, they, they're already predicting that it's, it'll be one of the roles that completely goes because AI can, can do it. Um, do you see that as a shrinking requirement or need for your girls as they leave school to want to become lawyers? Possibly, but I think that um, even with, you know, brilliant remote provision that has been provided by so many independent schools across the country um, with fantastic technology, we've still got the evidence that students do better live in school. We still need people. So I think that even if there is a reduced demand for such professions in the future, I always think you're going to need people in some capacity. So yeah, there might be reduced need, but we're still going to need people. And we're still going to need people who are going to understand issues which relate to people too. You know, I don't think a computer is ever going to be able to do that. So yeah, reduced need, um, but I don't think technology will completely replace that profession. Yeah, and it's yeah, it, it will it will certainly take a huge amount because it's just it's just crunching precedent law and data information that they, they can get to pretty quickly. But all, all that modern technology does, it just displaces roles but it creates new roles. So yeah. you know, our girls and our young men that come through to, through our schools, 
will go into professions that will complement where technologies displace certain easily replicable kind of role, roles or jobs. Um, and, you know, it's something that's really important is, is then how do you shape education to ensure that what you're offering these young women is fit for purpose so they can go out into that world and be able to adapt well. Um, what is, you, you talk about this Aristotelian kind of philosophy that sits heart, uh, in the heart of your educational um, model. Can you just explain a bit about that? And why, why is that important? Yeah, I mean, um, very crudely, Aristotle taught about eudaimonia um, and a very, very basic translation of that is happiness. But what Aristotle taught was about the need for everybody to achieve their potential. And if you achieve your potential as a human being, then you can reach a state of happiness or contentment or eudaimonia. Um, and Aristotle talked about uh, the building of character, the importance of values, the importance of intellectual contemplation. So with those kinds of ideas in mind, for me, that really relates strongly to what I'm passionate about in terms of education. You know, I want all of my students to achieve their personal potential academically but also it's about building character. It's celebrating everybody's interests in an extracurricular context, because for me, you know, education is about having fun and being happy too. It's about well-being. it's about building character, it's about academic success. And I think that potential um, is a huge concept because it involves building character and moral perceptiveness as well as academic success. So for me, um, my philosophy about education is fundamentally linked to some Aristotelian philosophy. And that's why I'm so passionate about well-being, character education, as well as academic success. Because, you know, I want, I want the girls to leave here with self-esteem and self-confidence, with the understanding of balance, as well as the ability to do whatever they want to academically. It is very much about a holistic approach. And that's what I'm so passionate about. Yeah, and, and, that, and, and that's really important, and, and that, not just for girls, but for boys' education yeah, too. Um, you know, you, you mentioned esteem, uh, and, it, and you know, esteem sits, sits, sits at the heart of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, you can't get to self-actualization without getting the basic building blocks in place, which is kind of your physiological needs, your safety, your, your sense of belonging. Um, I, I certainly find, I'm really interested to find your thoughts on um, where, where does this generation, so the, the, the millennials will call them, or Generation Alpha, wh where do you think they sit when they understand what esteem and self-belonging means? Because the goalposts have really shifted, or certainly the playground shifted, because they have you know, the advent of technology 24-7, social media, everybody being beautiful. Um, how do you ensure that your girls, when they come through Manchester High, actually understand what esteem means in this digital paradigm? It's really important for them to have a pragmatic attitude and critical view of what they see on social media, for instance. And, and having that critical eye is absolutely crucial. You know, people like Natasha Devon talk an awful lot about being critical in your approach. If you teach skills like to do with critical anal analysis, if you teach pupils about respect and the importance of mutual respect, and you expect that kind of behavior online, you eradicate a lot of the problems. Um, and I think that if you encourage self-confidence and self-esteem, and if you celebrate the importance of things outside of the classroom, what you end up doing is having girls with less time to go on social media anyway, and they have a more pragmatic attitude towards it. 
Um, I think that if you teach those skills, yes, of course, students are going to get um, embroiled in what it means to be perfect. But if you're teaching those critical skills, what you're hoping is that they understand that, you know, those images and ideas are out there, but they're not going to let them impact what they think about themselves because they know that what's important is their own future success and you're not going to see that on an Instagram feed. So it's about, for me, teaching those skills and those characteristics that girls need to be able to tackle those big issues because, yeah, it's impactful for all of us and we want them to be successful. And to be successful is also to be happy and to be happy mentally. And that's and, and teaching them how to behave on social media and how to view social media is absolutely crucial to their mental health. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I've got four kids. I've got two girls. So I've got a 17 and a half year old and my, my, my youngest of my, my daughters is just turned 13. So I've kind of navigated one um, through it. Um, I'm about to start again. And, and, but, but, the, but the playing field has shifted. It changed again, you know, in a short, in a, in a micro generation, what my eldest daughter kind of had to deal with um, actually, and what my youngest daughter now has to deal with, I think is, is significantly different that there is much more availability. There's many more platforms, there's easier places to hide. Um, they kind of go at it willy nilly. And I feel like she's grown up quicker than my other daughter did at this age. Um, what are we doing within a school to educate teachers to understand this, this new playground that our girls are playing in? Because it's not something that is natural or comes part of the teacher training pack. So what are we doing and what are you doing to, to ensure that your teachers are there to be the best role models too? Yeah, I mean, we have, um, as many schools do, courses on e-safety and updates regarding e-safety with every single safeguarding update annually. Um, and our heads of year in particular are very, very up to speed with things that are going on currently. So it's interesting though, um, you just talking like that, it just reminds me that we've now started to introduce digital detox days for the girls really regularly. Brilliant. And Brilliant. they you know what, the girls actually really enjoy it. And the parents think it's amazing that they know that that one day it's, it's all about doing other things. And the girls are okay about that. Um, because for us, you know, make eye contact. Focus on your community, focus on getting out and running around a hockey pitch. You know, let's get away from the screens. So technology is brilliant, don't get me wrong, but there are other skills that they need to develop. Um, and so this digital detox is, is working really, really well here. Yeah, I, th I think it's a fantastic initiative. I've, I've talked about it for years and years as part of, you know, I'm, I'm a big advocate of social media, a big advocate of technology, a big advocate of ensuring that our, skill, uh, our kids have the right relevant skills that when they do go out there, they're, that they're relevant for what the world needs, not just what this educational kind of Victorian conveyor belt has, has kind of led us to believe we need because it's not right. Um, and so when I've been um, kind of looking at, again, my own children, in terms of what they want to have when they come out of it. You mentioned happiness, absolutely. I think happiness and confidence as two, as two traits. If, if, if every child could be happy and confident, wow, we're gonna have an incredible you know, population that's gonna kind of come out into the workforce and take on, you know, this, or inherit what we've left behind, not necessarily in the best way. Um, so digital detox, I think it's a brilliant thing. And actually my daughter, when I've, when I've suggested it, she's actually been, whilst you, you get the initial fight, at the end of it, always, it's been, thanks ever so much for taking away. 
but and it's a really difficult thing to do as a parent because you don't want to you know it's that balance between you know be, being their parent and being their kind of their friend and still wanting to be, be liked that you, you kind of have this balance with but I have found that if you get over that initial battle that the result is so much more positive because they do open their eyes they see the world around them they interact in a very different playful way um, and also it teaches them to be bored and I don't think we teach yeah. boredom enough right because there's always something to do you know I'm bored I'm just going to my device I can't sit you know we can't waste like five seconds of boredom it has to be filled um, yeah. But it's about you talking about dialogue with your daughter. You know, we always say to parents, keep the dialogue going with your child about social media and about phone use. Mm. You know, I, I'm, I make no bones of the fact that, you know, for instance, with my boys growing up, we had an agreed policy that they charged their phones overnight in the kitchen so that they couldn't have internet access in their bedrooms overnight. And I personally felt that that was very, very important because I wanted them to have a good night's sleep. And I will openly share that with parents and say, yeah you know, make a contract with your children, have that agreement because you want them to have a good night's sleep. And then if you have open dialogue and you talk to them about what they're seeing and about what they're experiencing, they're far more likely to come to you if they find something that they're concerned about. And that dialogue with girls is so important. And for you not to feel too shocked, you know, I think it's easy for a, for a child to say something and you immediately kind of react badly. Whereas actually, if you try and keep your calm and talk to them about what they're seeing and talk to them about the consequences, then that dialogue is so important for when they hit kind of 15, 16, when possibly traditionally they're less likely to come and talk to you as parents. And I think one thing, and I've got boys, so it's slightly different, but, you know, I know that my boys will talk to me. Um, and and that for me, that dialogue as a parent is incredibly important. And that's what we encourage with our own parents. You know, we give them annual updates on, on what we think are the key things connected with social media and technology in general. But keep that dialogue open with your children. If you can keep that open, you, are, you will experience fewer issues. Yeah, and I, I completely agree. And, and, and we did the same with our kids. And, you know, for, for us, it wasn't I didn't trust my daughter so much with the phone. It's, it's what one, what, it was one instance where it was in her room. And a friend couldn't sleep. And at half one, she's FaceTiming her. And she's kind of woken her up. And in the morning, you know, she is miserable. You know, absolutely, um, you know, she's got the face on. Everything is just like a real kind of fight back. And I'm going, what happened? And you, you get to the bottom of it and you realise that it wasn't that it wasn't that she was on it. Her friend woke her up and suddenly she's going to have a bad day at work, at school. She's not there we've had a bad start to our day because we're just getting the fire from a from a 15 year old or or something three o'clock in the morning they'll still be on the phone <laughs> it is it is and it's hard you know we, we, we struggle because we've got four kids and you know just trying to keep tabs of all of them it, it just becomes a relentless thing like that my parents didn't have to do you know if, if they switched off the tv downstairs it was off you know if i go to my room there's not much i could do except read a book and stay awake with my light on um, but now we can't and it's like well where, which device have they got there's too many devices that they you know they sneak in they might you might think they're charging the right one but then they've got the iPad from their sister um, and you kind of find out that they're watching YouTube yeah but this is the, but this is the, the, the currency that we're in right now with the, with the kids and open dialogue I think is essential um, because we're, we're never gonna we, we can't sanction too much. We can't throw away and, and, and force them not to use it. This is, this is a, a lifeblood of this generation. And even ours right now, 
So we need to tell them how to use it responsibly. And then actually they'll use it as a tool. And it's not about safety. It's actually about, actually, how can they be part of their lives? Because when they go and have a job, guess what? They're going to have a phone with them. If they can't control themselves when they, like now, how they're going to do it. Um, You've written extensively about your passion for single-sex education and girls' education um, in particular. Why is that important to you? Girls' education? Um, I just just feel that girls do better with girls. I mean, I've, you know, we're part of the GSA, part of the Girls' Schools Association, and I just feel passionately about girls' education. Um, You know, for me, when I walk around this school, every leadership opportunity is held by a girl. Every chemistry and physics classroom is filled with girls. And, you know, therefore, there's no perceived gender consideration regarding anything that our students do. They're in that non-self-conscious environment. Um, And I think that what's good for girls in that context is that they know that they can do anything. They can go into any career. They can do any subject they want to. There is nothing, even a perception that's stopping them. And I think that's incredibly empowering for girls. And I think when we talked about self-esteem and self-confidence, I think part of being in a girls' school enables those two characteristics to flourish. Um, And that's what I really, really see. And I've seen in every girls' school I've worked in. So So, yeah, I am- So boys are a distraction. Not saying that boys are a distraction. I'm saying that girls, when they're on their own, surrounded by girls, there is no potential um, gender barrier to what they do. So, you know, you do hear of some people might say, well, why would you want to do physics? It's not a girl subject. Whereas if you're in a school where everybody who does physics is a girl, well, why not? Yeah. You know, there is nothing stopping a girl doing anything. There are no glass ceilings there because girls can do anything. And I think being with girls just empowers girls to know that they can do those. And I think, I think, you know, with the most amazing alumni that we've got, you know, you know that the Pankhurst girls came here. So we've got this incredibly pioneering history. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. If the world had more girls' school, would we reach a more gender-equal society more quickly? Mm, possibly, but I think, that, I think that it's a broader question, isn't it? I think that we've all got a role in ensuring that, that society reflects an attitude of equality beyond just girls' schools. You know, we're talking about the role of politicians and employers and and members of boards and and all aspects of society to ensure that every girl knows right from the word go that there are no limits to their potential. So I don't think it's just the job of girls' schools to do this. It's it's the job of everybody to ensure equality for all, not just the job of girls' schools. I mean, we can can prepare girls and I think that they leave with the self-esteem to know that they can handle themselves in any environment. So I don't necessarily think that more girls' schools would solve the issues relating to gender equality. Um, I think that's a much broader issue. But I think what girls' schools do is give girls the confidence to know that they do have the opportunities and there is nothing that can stop them. And that's what's empowering. So the conversations are great. Should we be doing more um, to to drive this this conversation further? 
Absolutely. Um, and I think that, you know, when we talk about the roles in, of, of, of boys' schools and co-ed schools, it is just to ensure that, you know, it's a bit like what we said with, with phones and about if you teach certain principles of behaviour, then you've got students who can handle themselves on, on phones or, or on technology better. It's exactly the same. If you teach mutual respect and gender equality in every context, then, you know, girls are going to be on a far more level playing field than they are now. Um, and it's, it's, I think also it's giving girls the understanding that, you know, they can, can I, I take this the right, the right way, they can have everything. You know, I feel strongly that just because you want students and want girls to feel that they can do any career, it doesn't, ma it doesn't mean that they're not going to have a family. Yeah. You know, you can do both. Um, and if you're in a relationship, which is a partnership, you absolutely can do both. You know, I'm a leader. I've got two children. I've, I've always worked and I've got great relationships with my children. So I don't think that it's about saying to girls that you have to choose. And it's not saying to boys, you have to choose. You can do everything, but just make sure that you respect each other enough to know that you can work in partnership if that's ultimately the relationship you ultimately choose to have. Great words of advice um, for both boys and girls that, you know, they, they, they can absolutely go on and do, do anything and be anybody they, they want to be. Um, how should boys' schools teach gender equality? Um, the reason I bring this up is that, you know, again, having seen my two, my, my two daughters, I've got, I've got a son in between them who's, who's 16. Um, what the, the perception and acceptance of boys is, again, from you know, those teenagers, what they read and they see online, isn't really a reality. Um, and, and I think a lot of time is that they're forcing girls into a, into a world that it satisfies a, um, that the boy, a teenage boy, which is a naive teenage boy, um, they don't really understand the respect side and whether or not it's appropriate, their behavior, because they, they see it as normal. So are, are the boys schools doing enough to teach boys around respect and gender equality? No, I, I, I can't comment. I don't, you know, teach in a boys' school. Um, one hopes very much that they are, though, because it is about respecting, you know, each other, boys and girls, as human beings that deserve respect. So, um, and I'm, you know, very much hope that they do, because it is making sure that um, whenever you talk about an issue, you know, relating to consent, um, relating to images on, online, that that you educate all children to know what is acceptable and what is not. So I'm sure these things are happening in boys' schools too. Um, but again, it's something that has to happen across society and parents have got a responsibility and the media have got a responsibility too. You know, it's not just the role of teachers here, it's, it's all of us. We all have a responsibility to make sure that our children grow up with a fair and respectful attitude towards everybody else. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my boys go to an all boys school and they have an incredibly respectful attitude towards women. Similarly, when I'm talking to girls about the importance of female equality, at no point am I disrespecting you know, men at all. Um, any woman and man um, or who identifies as woman and man can have and can be a role model. Um, absolutely, it's just having an attitude of respect. So I don't think it's all about the school, it's about everybody across society and media have got a huge role to play there too. You've recently returned to uh, Manchester High, having spent a large portion of your teaching career there. Um, wh why do you decide to return? Um, and the second question is, 
is it weird going back to a school where you're probably going to be seeing a lot of the teachers that were your peers at the time and now you're their boss you're you, you've got to kind of change the culture how difficult has it been why did i go back I was, okay so i was here for 14 years in various roles and when this role came up as head so i've been this is my second headship um, it was a, a no-brainer for me. This, I know I absolutely adore this school. Um, I did some media training about 10 years ago, and at the end of the session, um, the person who was running the course said to me, you know, Helen, if you're a stick of rock and we cut you in two, it would have Manchester High School for Girls written throughout your core. So, you know, MHSG, it's blood runs through my veins. So um, I just, gosh, I can't say just how privileged I feel to be here it's incredible it's weird to be sitting in the head seat it's weird but it's amazing and i think you know um i suppose it was strange for staff to think gosh you know when helen left she was deputy now she's coming back as head so I, you know i can't deny that there were a few nerves about how would people respond to me as i came back as head um but it's been it's been fantastic and the staff here are just the most fantastic supportive hard-working people and have just I just feel welcomed with open arms. So um, it sounds as if I'm lying, but I'm not. It's been amazing. Um, COVID to one side, it's been amazing. Exactly. I think COVID tested every leader um, and actually everybody um, on, on this planet in, in lots of different ways. Uh, and you know, I've heard lots of great stories of new heads coming in this year. You know, and the first thing they've dealt with is, by the way, global pandemic. Go, go, go fix that and keep, keep teaching my, my, my kids. Um, so yeah, you're right. You know, this isn't, um, you know, we, we've talked a lot and I think COVID is, is stolen the headlines and no doubt that you have put in place a, a robust kind of educational approach that has meant that your girls can continue to get the education, your staff continue to get the, the, the support they need because it's extremely difficult times, but we all pull together, right? We, we all respect each other and go, do you know, we're doing our best. And I think at times like this, that that's all you can do. Um, I think I think the school very much is a community and everybody very much has a you know we want to do the best for the girls and they've absolutely pulled together and done an amazing job but I think that I think there's never been a time when one's personal life has impacted one's professional life and I think that everybody's also been looking out for each other in a way that possibly is unprecedented too and I think that this is a year that has raised issues regarding staff welfare and well-being in a way that it's not done before and for me personally staff well-being is a hugely important priority without my staff the girls can't be taught so they are such an important part of, of the school community um, and they have been amazing but it's because of them that we've been able to continue. Um, marketing is often um, not talked about within leadership and within teaching capacities. Um, I, I have a very different philosophy that everybody, well, I don't use the word marketing, but everyone has a role to celebrate how great the school is that they work in through positive stories, messaging. How important is the leadership part for driving marketing within a school? I think, I think it's so important. I'm really passionate about marketing and I'm certainly not an expert. Um, but you know, one thing I remember um, a head that I respected very much who I worked under you know, about 20 years ago said, everything you say, every word that you write to anybody, um, every conversation that you have is a piece of marketing. Um, and that has really stayed with me. 
Um, and this is why everything is proofread very well and every message that we put out there is crucial to reflecting the values that we hold so strongly at this school. So, you know, currently we've got our strap line is, is one day I will or one day we will. Um, and that really for us reflects that view that we want girls to know that they can do anything that they want to. But marketing is absolutely crucial. That's the way you get the message and the values and the ethos of the school you feel so passionately about out into society and the community. So yeah, yeah. hugely important. Yeah, and, and everybody needs to buy into it. Everyone needs to be part of it. And I think modern, modern marketing is, is more about authenticity because you can try too hard to, to, to force a message to try and bust perception, but it's the kind of, don't show me promise, show me reality, show me what's going on at your school. And you know, every school I go into around the world, is absolutely utterly unique because of you the kids the teachers the place the things you do there is no other recipe on the planet that will equal yours whilst you may all offer a girl's education you're completely different and that's the the secret i think for for, for marketing is that authenticity because that's what parents are buying into is my daughter going to have a great time be happy confident to build character to build esteem to be academically pushed all these different things that you look for, I think most schools have, but we don't end up saying it too well because we say the same things. So it's great to see that, that, that you're, you're driving that from the front. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.